How would it impact you if you heard that a law was passed in our country that you couldn't pray for 30 days? Doesn't sound so far-fetched, does it? Well, in Daniel chapter 6, the famous lion's den, that's exactly what happened. And Daniel took a stand on his knees. I pray that the Lord will help strengthen us when we face our lion's dens. We'll learn more about that struggle with faith and honoring God today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get to today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. What made Daniel so special? Well, as I mentioned, he was a man that possessed an extraordinary spirit, I think, because he spent time uh, seeking the face of God, seeking heaven. You could say tonight that Daniel took his stand on his knees. And an edict is going to go out that people cannot pray for a 30-day stretch of time. And Daniel, like he did when he was younger, like he had done uh, when we first met him in the book, made up his mind, he took his stand. The uh, culture is beating on us. I, I know as a Christian, as a, a person who's, you know, maybe fighting the freeways or working or you're going to school or you're doing both and you're juggling a, a heavy schedule and uh, decisions that you need to make day in and day out, to prioritize prayer can be a hard thing. And sometimes prayer is a hard discipline to learn as much as we acknowledge that there's power in prayer, sometimes we just, we just fail to pray. And I think when we fail to pray, we are, we are missing a huge part of the Christian life. Uh, many times I think we could all probably confess together that we're guilty of shotgun prayers. Anybody? You know, we get into our car and we say, okay, Lord, I, I, need, I didn't have a chance to pray while I was putting my shoes on, so here I am on the freeway now. Now I'm going to pray. And I think that's okay because we're told in the Bible to pray without ceasing, right? So we should be in constant communication with heaven. But I do think that there are special times, and I want to encourage you, for those of you who have Living Truth as your home church, there's a group of people praying before our services. Uh, 15 minutes to a half an hour before each service, there's a group in my office, and I want to tell you, it's not a big group. Sometimes before second service, to be candid with you, there's nobody in there. There's nobody praying. And I know we're busy, and I know that there's a lot of you who are here tonight who serve on a Sunday morning, and so it's difficult sometimes to carve out that time to get in there because you may be doing something else. But I'll just tell you, and, and God has taught me this time and time again, if we don't pray... We have no power. We have to be in communion with heaven. And I try to make it a practice that any time before I come out here and share with you, because uh, I just know that I don't personally have the goods to do this. I need to get on my knees and pray. I, need, uh, I have to put the message before God and say, Lord, um, if you don't do something with this, nothing good, nothing spiritual, nothing uh, that's really uh, lasting is going to happen. And so I think that's the position that we find ourselves in as people. And it's not a bad position to be in because dependence upon God is where we want to be. Now we're in chapter 6, verse 1, and it says it seemed good to Darius. Darius, 
identified as Darius the Mede, who took the throne at 62. Uh, notice he, Darius, appointed 120 satraps, Daniel 6, verse 1, over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. Uh, many uh, have debated the existence of Darius the Mede because they have not found an archaeological discovery, to my knowledge, that has his name on it outside the biblical record. Do remember that in chapter 5, when we looked at Belshazzar, we had skeptical uh, scholars who were denying that the book of Daniel could be legit. We're trying to date it to 165 or somewhere there because they didn't find evidence for a Belshazzar. But in an archaeological discovery, Belshazzar's name was discovered and that he was a co-regent serving at that time. So just, you know, just because Darius the Mede hasn't been discovered yet, don't get nervous. They're going to turn over a shovel at some point and they're going to discover his name because the biblical record will stand. But I will tell you this, that there are scholars that believe that Darius the Mede may well be Cyrus the Persian. It is true that leaders of the time had multiple names, and it may be that he was actually Cyrus. This is a debated issue. It's not really that huge, but just throw it out as we were introduced to this particular character. And over uh, them, he appointed three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, verse 2, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss, and this refers to financial loss or to taxes. As a new ruler was coming in, he was trying to stabilize the kingdom over which he was ruling. Remember, as you move down the historical calendar from Egypt to Assyria, you get to Babylon and then to the Medo-Persian Empire, then to Greece, then to Rome. So you're moving from about 1000 BC all the way down to the time of Jesus. Those are the world empires. So when you meet Darius the Mede, or if he's Cyrus the Persian, you've got the Medo-Persian Empire back to Daniel's dream in chapter 2. We'll see a little bit more in chapter 7. And we're talking about a world empire. So a lot to deal with. And money and the king's personal interest in protecting all of that taxing and money was important. And so Daniel uh, has, has a lot of staying power. We've watched Daniel... Uh, through many different rulers, still be established as a main hub in the government. And he's here again. He has a great reputation, and maybe, you know, he lost his position for a time, but came back, and he's back again. And he's obviously a very trusted man. He has set himself apart. He has, as we saw in Daniel 5.12, an extraordinary spirit. Uh, the spirit of the holy God is within him, uh, Daniel 5.11, New King James. And Daniel began distinguishing himself, as he always did, verse 3, among the com commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Extraordinary is preeminent, excellent. The word spirit is ruach in Hebrew. It could mean the spirit of God or it can mean your spirit, as in you have a soul or a spirit. So if we said, man, that, that person has a lot, that person has a great spirit among them. When Jesus said, uh, God the Father is looking for people to worship in spirit and in truth, most scholars believe that John 4, 24, spirit there is your spirit. There are some that argue for the Holy Spirit there, but in spirit and in truth could mean from the core of who you are in truth, that's how God wants you to worship. That's John 4, 24. And so Daniel was distinguishing himself. He was a unique individual. He was 
extraordinary. Now, if you're not extraordinary, what are you? Ordinary. <laughs> now, I guess for some of you tonight, being ordinary shouldn't be that bad of a thing, I, I suppose. But I will tell you, as a Christian, you're automatically an extraordinary individual. Here's why. The spirit of the living God that lived in Daniel lives in you. Do you believe that? The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And you might say, well, I don't find that surprising. People at work always are calling me extraordinary. <laughs> that is weird. Or whatever it may be. Man, you pray. Man, you do this. You do that. You go to church. You go to Bible studies on a Friday night. Dude, what's wrong with you? That's extraordinary. They may be saying weird. But anyway. <laughs> but here's the thing. You are beyond the ordinary because you are part of God's family. You've been adopted as a child of God. You are loved in heaven. God loved you so much he gave his only son to die for you. You are special in his eyes. Later, Daniel will be told by an angel that he is greatly loved in heaven. And do you know that you can claim that for yourself? You are greatly loved in heaven. Here's why. Because God loves you. And heaven is synonymous with God. And so if God loves you, you could stand upon a promise tonight that you are greatly loved in heaven. Do you believe that? Some of you, it's hard sometimes, right? Because we get this skewed view of love sometimes, and sometimes we have a skewed view of our own identity in Christ. We're not sure if that really applies to me, but it's true. God loves you. If you're a Christian tonight, he loves you. And even if you're not a Christian, he sent his son to die for you. Now, you're going to see as we move through the chapter that Daniel becomes a type of Christ. And you could also say a type of a Christian. Let me explain. When you hear the word type in Bible, it's kind of like saying something is a picture of something else. And typology is a study. It's a study in and of itself in uh, theology. And when you study typology, normally when you see a type, it's fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Daniel in the lion's den takes on a type or a picture of the coming Messiah. I'll show you how that works in a moment. But I just want you to keep that in mind. Now, Daniel uh, is obviously an important figure. And he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Look at the end of verse 3. And the king, Darius, planned to appoint him over what? Over the entire kingdom. Now, that is the main reason that the lion's den happens in Daniel chapter 6. One word, the word is jealousy. The other governmental rulers, 120 others and maybe others who were in the king's court, upon hearing that the king wanted to elevate Daniel over the entire kingdom, became jealous. When Pontius Pilate was dealing with Jesus and no less than five times, did he say, this man's innocent, I want to release him, right? He knew, the Bible says he knew it was because of envy that the religious leaders handed him over to Pilate. And it was because they were afraid that if Jesus was elevated, they would lose their place. They would lose their place in the nation. And they became so concerned about their place and their position that it was for envy that they turned Jesus over. And that's part of the reason that Daniel's a type of Jesus because it's envy that 
uh, motivates this life. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what do you know about the occult? In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Part of the reason that Daniel's a type of Jesus, because it's envy that uh, motivates this lion's den. And the lion's den is no less than a passion to kill Daniel. Then the commissioners, verse 4, and satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. They began to hunt around. They heard that the king wanted to elevate Daniel. So they began to look for corruption. They, they figured if he's in government, there's got to be some corruption, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you think so? We'd like to think that there's not. Maybe there are some honest people out there, but it seems like when anybody gets into politics, they end up in this game where there's a shell game and there's lies and people tell you one thing just to get elected and then later on they don't follow through. Politics can be a very ugly, ugly place, as we all know. It could be ugly when uh, elections are going on and so forth. And they searched and they searched. And these men said, verse 5, we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to what? With regard to the law of his God. They searched, they looked in his closet, they did a little background checking, they, they tried to find old video footage, whatever it may be. They could find nothing anywhere in Daniel. No corruption, no indiscretions, nothing. Just think about that for a second. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? That, that the enemies of Daniel had to say, the only way that we're going to get this guy is if it's in regard to the law of his God, which tells you that Daniel's faith was not a secret. Some Christians seem to be convinced that their faith needs to be a secret in certain locations. No, it doesn't. Now, you don't need to be obnoxious at work. You don't need to be obnoxious at school. But people that you've worked with for a while should have an indication that you're a Christian. If not... Something's wrong. Sometimes you may have worked with a person for many years and they, they find out you're a Christian and you find out they're a Christian and you're like, I didn't know. We've been working together since 1994. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You have to have witnessed to somebody in the company some indication, something, a gospel tract, something, right? So Daniel had a very public faith. 
And I think it's just because it flowed out of him. He didn't have to force it. You know, evangelism is the natural overflow of a heart in love with God. Prayer is a natural overflow of a heart in love with God. You don't have to force it. It's just who you are. If you're a Christian, it's just who you are. Amen? And so you, you obviously have to be wise and winsome about how you share and how you uh, deal with people at the company or at school or in your family, all of that. And so they couldn't find anything except in regard to the law of his God. And I had to park here, and in, in my notes I just wrote, wow, could that be said about me? <laughs> could that be said about you? That they wouldn't find any other issues, no skeletons falling out of the closet, unless it was in regard to something that you wouldn't compromise regarding your faith. Well, these commissioners and satraps, verse 6, came by agreement. They went as a group to the king and spoke to him as follows. They said, King Darius, live forever. That's a common greeting to a king. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days, shall be cast into the lion's den. Hey, king, we've come up with a new program. We put our heads together, all the satraps, all the leaders and stuff. We've got a great new program for the company. Instead of employee of the month, it's going to be God of the month. And it's you, king. We want you to be the God of the month. We have a special sp parking space for you. We've got your picture on the bulletin board. Kling! King Darius, God of the month. Right? And... We've just got, we came up with a document here and we want you to sign it that you are not just deity of the day, you're deity of the month. How's that sound? Now, if you're the king, you're like, now Persian kings were known for claiming that they were some sort of God, some sort of deity. In fact, as you move down historically, the Roman emperors began to claim that they had either God-like uh, qualities, or some of them claimed that they were the savior of the world. And in fact, when persecution began to rise in the Roman Empire, it was because the Christians would refuse to say that Caesar is Lord. The Romans would put up with the Christian church in the first century in worshiping Jesus, but what they wouldn't put up with was when a Christian at a certain festival refused to say that Caesar was Lord. That got the Christians in trouble. And so Darius is being stroked, you know, his ego's being stroked, and uh, they go to the king. But of course, we know what their motives are, right? Who are they after? They're after Daniel. They know that they can't get Daniel in trouble unless it re regards the law of his God. So they're manipulating their way to get their will done. They're using the king. Now, O king, verse 8, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Note in your uh, notes, if you're taking notes, Esther 1.19 and 8.8, which does confirm that once a king signed an edict like this, that it could not be revoked even by his own word. The document kind of sealed the injunction or the law. So once he signed the law, they knew that they would have their way. The king, King Darius, signed the document 
Uh, you might want to sleep on something before you sign a document. Amen. We've all had those contracts before. We've all had salespeople trying to get us to buy in the spur of the moment. This deal is only good for the next 15 minutes. You've got to sign right now. Somebody says that to you, exit stage left. The deal will be good uh, two hours and 15 minutes later, because if you've ever walked out of a car dealer, when they say, 15 minutes, that's all we got here, they'll call you the next day. Hey, by the way, we can sweeten that deal now that you've left the dealership, <laughs> right? That's a ploy, and that's all that that is. So King Darius signed the document. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had a windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day. Daniel continued to pray. If anyone, verse 7, prays, makes a petition to any god besides you, O king, for 30 days, he'll be cast into the lion's den. End of verse 7. I'm sure Daniel knew it. Daniel knew about the document. Verse 10, he knew that the document had been signed. And yet he entered his house. He didn't close the window. He continued kneeling, notice, three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Now, if you knew that a document had been signed that said if you prayed to any other God but Darius for 30 days, you'd be thrown into a lion's den. Let me remind you what a lion's den is. It's a place that you're thrown where they starve lions so that the moment that you hit the ground, they eat you. You are their lunch, dinner, breakfast. You're dead. Would you pray? Can I ask you an even more convicting question? Would it affect your devotional life very much if a law in America came down the pike and said, you can't pray for 30 days? You can't read your Bible for 30 days? Would that mess with your schedule? Well, we'd all say, I hope so. We all would like to say, man, I, I would respond in faith. I would get down on my knees. I don't care about what the government says. I don't care about, but look, when the document says if they catch you and you know people at, in your neighborhood or in the company are just looking for a way because they're jealous of you to kill you and you know that if your windows are open, they've probably been already hanging around. You've probably already seen the paparazzi outside the house, you know the Persia whatever they are, <laughs> trying to, to catch you, what would you do? Would you go home after knowing a document? Would you discuss it with some of your friends? Would you say, Lord, for the next 30 days, I'm going to pray standing. Uh, Lord, I'm going to shut my windows because I just need to pray in, to you in private, right? But Daniel had a conviction and he would not stop what he had done previously. He prayed Verse 10, he gave thanks before God. The Bible tells us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Short little exhortations. We're to rejoice always. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to give thanks in everything. Listen, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks on the 91 freeway? No, that's not God's will. <laughs> can, can that be God's will? To, to be a thankful person, to, to do everything in prayer, to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with 
thanksgiving to make your requests made known to God. And the Bible says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do you believe those, those verses? There's a promise. So Daniel, probably in his 80s at this point, had a pattern of prayer. We all need one. I don't know if yours and mine needs to be three times a day in prayer on our knees, but could I suggest that maybe that wouldn't be a bad idea? Could I suggest that if you spent three times a day on your knees for one minute, that maybe your prayer life would improve and it would move from a minute to five minutes? And I'm speaking to myself as well. We want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Well, here we find ourselves in the fall, quickly moving towards Halloween or All Hallows Evening. We have a special offer for you. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult. In this series, we expose the occult for what it is and shine the light and power of Christ upon it. What is the occult, you might ask? Well, it really comes from that which is occluded, hidden, secret, mysterious, esoteric, behind the veil. And for the Christian, something that's forbidden. Some people have opened the door to the occult and opened their lives to very dark and sinister things. But there's hope, hope in the gospel of Christ and hope for those who have opened that door when they come to Jesus Christ. If you want to find out more about this product, reach out to us at 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH, or check out the website, walkintruth.com. God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.